Greetings, friends and family. It is the weekend of Sunday, March the 12th, and we conclude our look at Paul's letter to Philemon. Next week, we'll do somewhat of a postscript, if you will, a postlude, but this week we conclude as we look at Philemon, verses 22 through 25. We've come to the end of the study to this letter. But because Paul only has a few words left to say to Philemon, doesn't mean that they are insignificant. In fact, these final words of Paul are very important, not only for Philemon and his new brother in the Lord, Onesimus, but for us too. Philemon 22 through 25 reads, And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we're going to see if we can get some of the encouragement that Philemon would have received from reading these very same words. If we're going to pray, we need to be ready for God to answer our prayers in the way that he answers them. And Paul says to Philemon in Philemon verse 22, and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me. Paul's purpose was to visit Colossae again to see his old friend Philemon and the church that met in his house. But by informing Philemon of his intention to visit him, Paul is basically saying, hey, I'm, I'm coming to see how you handled my request. Several years ago in Britain, in the UK, when the Queen used to go on her trips around the United Kingdom, she used to go and visit some people in their homes. Now, her advance team would let let you know, and it you know that the the, the host would know, so they would have time to prepare their home and to make the Queen her favorite drink, a cup of tea. And so the host would vacuum the house and make sure everything was just so and nice and tidy for her visit and then put the kettle on just at the right time. Now, if we were going to each other's house, we probably wouldn't go to all this effort because we're just normal everyday people and and we wouldn't expect, you know, each other to go to all that trouble. But the point is this, we would probably tidy up our house in proportion to how much honor that person we're getting a visit from. Um, and so, so see, when certain people show up on our doorstep, we, we usually know why they're there. Now, Philemon was going to have to prepare a room for Paul's visit, and he would have to make sure that he has taken Paul's advice in the way that he was to receive Onesimus back into his household. Now, today, we're not waiting a visit from Paul, but we are waiting for sure. We're waiting, not for a visit, but we're waiting for the Lord to come again and to bring an end to one thing and a beginning, right, to another. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, are we ready? Are, are our lives in order for Jesus's return? Our walk, in other words, should reflect our talk, and we should be practicing what we're preaching if we really believe that Jesus is coming back soon. Is our life ready for Jesus's return? The the scripture says, if we really honor the Lord Jesus, who's coming, we will stay pure. 
First John chapter three, verse one through two, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that, that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see as he see as he is. Everyone has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. So one writer says like this, we ought to live like he rose this morning and he's coming back tonight. Now we mentioned earlier that when we pray, we need to be ready for God to answer that prayer. Philemon had been praying for Paul's release from prison so that he could come and visit the church that meets in his house and encourage them. That's why Paul says in verse 22, I hope to be restored to you um, in answer to your prayers. All those who had heard of Paul's imprisonment were praying for him, and Paul trusted that those prayers were soon to be answered in this release from prison. He had full confidence in their prayers for him and that God would answer those prayers and release him. In other words, because of Philemon and the believer's prayers, he fully expects to be his guest again. You see, Philemon and the church understood the power of prayer, and when Paul heard that they were praying for his release, they were all expecting nothing less from God than to have their prayers released. The point is, Philemon would have had a room, would have had to have a room, excuse me, ready for Paul if he really believed his prayers were going to be answered. So now, what about us? Do we pray? to God with great expectations? Do we pray in such a way that we get ourselves prepared for God to answer that prayer? Daniel was a man of prayer, and in Daniel chapter 6, we find a bunch of men looking for any excuse to get rid of him. And so these men went to King Darius and convinced him to write a decree, and that decree was that no one was allowed to pray to any god or man except King Darius. And they convinced the king to agree that if any man does pray within the next 30 days, that they would be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now, what do we think Daniel was praying about? The story goes on to say that the men saw him and told the king. And so the king was, who was very fond of Daniel, had no choice but to throw him into the lion's den and picking up chapter six, verses 22 through 23, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Not only did the power of prayer send an angel of the Lord to shut the lion's mouths, but the power of prayer was able to shut up the mouths of Daniel's enemies because they ended up in the lion's den themselves, but they didn't survive. The point is this, prayer is powerful. And if we pray expecting things to happen, they happen. Maybe not the way we necessarily want them to happen, but they are answered. Even if the only thing that changes is us and our attitudes towards whatever we're praying for. James chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so Philemon believes that God was able to get Paul out of prison. Paul believed that God could get him out of prison. Do we believe that that same God can can do the same for us. 
Now, what I mean by that is, do we believe that God can break down the prison cell of sin in our life? You see, we're all sinaholics. We all have sin in our lives. But maybe there's a sin in our life that's just totally out of control. Maybe there's a sin in our life that gets more time dedicated to it than than God gets. Sin could be any number of things. It could be the sin of of pornography. It could be the sin of gossip. It could be the sin of some kind of immoral thinking. Maybe we have an addiction that's way out of control and we rely on our addiction to help us through the day more than we rely on God to help us through the day. And God says, listen, I can help you break down that wall of sin in your life. I can help you break free from that prison cell of sin in your life. Paul has just talked about how Jesus defeated sin in Romans 5 when he goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we put Christ on, when we are in Christ, when we say yes to all we know of him and ask for help to say no to all that we know is in us, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and we stop living out that old nature of sin in our lives. God has given us the power in our lives to help us, to help us to stop. Now, we might be thinking, I'm not sure if I can give up this certain thing in my life. Jesus Christ is greater than our sin, and he is above it. He is above our sinful weaknesses. He is above our sinful pleasures. Jesus Christ is above our addictions. Now, what if we don't have the want to want to give up a sin? Well, that's where we have to we need to pray. We have to ask God to to help us to want to. We need to pray. You know, I don't really want to give this up, but with your help, I know that you can help me uh, give up what needs to be given up so that my life is lived in accordance to you. There's power in prayer. Do we realize that? Do we realize that we have people praying for us that we don't even know every day? Christians from all over the world are down on their knees praying that God will bless his church even more than we can ever imagine. And Paul says in Philemon 23 through 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Notice that Paul refers to Epaphras as his fellow prisoner. This isn't literal, but in the spiritual sense that Epaphras was captured by the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 verse 7 tells us that Epaphras was a Colonesian, a minister of the church at Colossae. And so the chances are he was well known to Philemon. He, he was a converted Gentile. And Colossians chapter 4, 12 through 13 tells us that he was a man full of zeal. He was a man who was, who was prayer trained, and he had helped Paul in preaching at Colossae. Paul also mentions Mark, who was Barnabas's sister's son, the son of that Mary, in whose house the church met. And prayed for Peter when he was in prison. He's the man who Saul and Barnabas took along with them to Antioch and beyond, but then left them at Pamphylia. We also know that Saul and Barnabas had a big argument over Mark when he returned to Antioch. But despite that argument, Mark was back with Paul at this point. Paul also mentions Aristarchus, who was a Macedonian of Thessalonica. It's very likely that Paul actually converted him to Jesus. 
According to Acts 19.29, he was with Paul in the uproar raised by Demetrius at Ephesus. Later, he went along with Paul into Asia and went with him in his voyage to Rome, and he's now a fellow prisoner there with Paul. Demas, who is also with him, is mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, as the one who deserted Paul and returned to the world. And that's interesting about him. Uh, and what's interesting about him is that if the letter to Philemon was written later than 2 Timothy, then that means that he must have been restored back into fellowship because he's now with Paul again. And Paul also sends greetings from Luke, the evangelist, Paul's personal physician, the brother whose praise was in all the churches and a constant companion of the apostle and his travels. Now, Paul calls them all his fellow workers, which is a huge compliment. They were all ministers of the gospel, and this shows Paul's great humility towards them and others. And now the chances are Philemon knew most of these guys because most of them worship in Colossae. And like we looked at earlier, Paul mentions them by name in Colossians chapter 4. But isn't it good to know that the others are think that, that that others are thinking about us and every now and then they send their love to us. They pray for us. Isn't it good to know that there are other Christians who appreciate the work that we're doing for the Lord. That gives me great joy. That encourages me. And that should give you joy and encouragement as well. Because out of all the things that Christians can pray for in the world today, some of those to pray specifically for the, are to pray specifically for the believers and the work that's being done in Banner Elk. And that's why Paul included Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke in his letter to Philemon. He knew that just by mentioning Philemon's friends' names, he would bring joy and encouragement to all the believers that meet in Philemon's house. In parts of the Middle East, there is a saying, and it's an answer to the question, who is a friend? And it goes like this, a friend is one to whom we may pour out the contents of our hearts chaff the grain together, knowing that the gentlest of hands will sift it. Keep what is worthy keeping, worth keeping, and with a breath of kindness, blow the rest of the way, blow the rest away. We could all do with friends like that in our lives. Friends who struggle with their faith on a daily basis, because it tells us that we're not alone in our struggles. When we hear from friends, not only does it bring us great joy and encouragement, but it's a reminder that we all rely on God's grace. Paul relied on God's grace. Epaphras and Mark relied on God's grace. Aristarchus relied on God's grace. Demas and Luke relied on God's grace. And Onesimus and Philemon relied on God's grace. We all rely on the grace of God daily. And it's through this grace, his grace, that we make the proper decisions in our lives, how to move forward. And that's why Paul said to Philemon in verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In the closing of his letter to Philemon, Paul calls on the favor of Jesus for the entire welfare of Philemon. It's Paul's prayer that Jesus shows special favor on this, on this godly man. John writes with that same idea in mind in 3 John um, chapter 2, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. The word your in Philemon 25 is plural in the Greek text, which means that Paul is including the whole church which meets in Philemon's house. Notice that Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
notice that the word spirit isn't a capital S. He's, so he's not referring to the Holy Spirit. But what difference does that really make? It makes a huge difference. And this is why. You see, just as the, just the God, just the God, just as God is a triune being made up of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God created us triune beings made up of a spirit, of a soul, of a body. And Paul reminds us of this when he writes to the Thessalonica um, in chapter 1 of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our bodies aren't designed to live forever. God told Adam in Genesis chapter 3, 19, for dust you are and to dust you will return. And so we can say that our body is, is earth conscious. It's designed for life on this earth. Now the soul is humanity's unique self. It's the part of our being which, because it's rational and moral, determines the actions performed by our body and which therefore renders us personally accountable for what we do. And so it is humanity's soul which will ultimately be either saved or lost depending on our response to the offer of salvation, which is made first possible by the coming of Christ, Jesus into the world. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and be not afraid of them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. And so we can say that our soul is self-conscious. It, it is, it's who we are as people. Now we could say that that our spirit is God's conscious conscience, and and this is what Paul is referring to here. He's referring to the part of the human nature which enables us to reach out and to communicate with a holy God. Job thirty two verse eight. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. It's the spiritual dimension in a man's character and humanity's character. And it's here we see the difference between humanity and the animals. It's only people who can say, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, Psalm 42, 4. It's only humankind who is encouraged to seek after him in the hope that they might feel after him and find him, Acts 17, 27. It's only humankind who is given the assurance that he is not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 30, 28. And Ecclesiastes 12, 7 tells us at death, the spirit returns to God who gave it. So when we die, our spirit returns to God because he was the one who gave it us in the first place. When I am away from home, I use my phone as a means of communication with my wife, Amy, and with our kids. But when I'm at home with her, then we, we talk face to face. I don't need to use the phone. Sometimes as a joke, we'll text each other when we're one's upstairs and one's down, but we don't need to use the phone. We can sit with each other. Well, in a similar way, God has endowed us with the ability to contact and communicate with him while we are here on earth. And so that when we are at home with the Lord, we will no longer need the phone. In other words, when we leave this earth, we will have no need for our spirit as we will be in the presence of God. Paul is basically saying to Philemon, I want you to accept Onesimus like God accepted you. I want God's grace to touch you in such a way that your spirit will communicate with God and do the right thing in taking Onesimus back into your home. 
Paul says in Philemon 5, I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. He says in verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And then in verse 9, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. The word for love, which Paul uses throughout this letter, is the Greek word agape. How is agape love different from other types of love? Well, the essence of agape love is self-sacrifice. Now, we need to understand that this kind of love was radical, not only because God was the source of that kind of love, but because it was unheard of by most. Try getting a Jewish person to show agape love to a Gentile. Try, try getting a Greek to show agape love to a foreigner. When Jesus came on the scene and said in John chapter 13, 35 through 30, 34 through 35, love one another as I have loved you, that was a radical new way to think and to act. It, it's, it's selfless, it's sacrificial love, which is not based on a feeling, but a determined act of the will, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above our own. C.S. Lewis referred to it as gift love. It's the highest form of Christian love. That This was a love that was we extend to all people, whether family members or strangers. This is radical. Now, we don't know for sure if Philemon did the right thing and submitted to Paul's appeal. We don't know if he released Onesimus from his slavery contract and sent him back to Paul. I think he probably did. And the reason for me thinking that is simple. Paul's whole appeal was built on agape love. So may the grace of God be with our spirit as we try to demonstrate this radical way to love, not only in our homes and in the places that we work, but in all the areas of our life. Amen. And God bless.